Welcome to the gathering at Adel. Thank you for joining us today. We are continuing our series in Psalm 23. We'll be looking at verse number 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Psalm 23, it says, The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life or he restores my soul. He leads me along the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. Psalm 23, one of the most, or the most famous psalm that we know of. Almost everybody in this place could probably recite most of it, or if not all of it. Earlier this summer, not this summer, last summer, 2022, me and my wife got to go to New York City for a wedding and a uh, just anniversary trip, celebrated 20 years, which is really a testament to her, not so much me. She's easy to be married to, I, not so much. But man, we, we walked around New York City for five days, and we just like, looked at all of the things, and we're just in awe. You look at it, and, and I'm a huge Seinfeld fan, and you, you start like noticing references and probably stereotypes of characters that they got you know, for the show. You know, you, Home Alone is another one of my favorite movies, and so you know, walking through Central Park and just like imagine all of that. It, it's, it was awesome. But what I found was that me and her were about the only ones that thought it were awesome. Everybody else had just lived there. When, when, you, when you're around something or someone for so long, it, it can lose its beauty. It, we don't have buildings that tall here. And to just like be marveled at a tall building, which really isn't that spectacular, except you just don't see them here. We're in awe, and everybody else was not. And in Psalm 23, if we're not careful, what was meant to be sacred will become common. What, what, what we were meant to behold, we will dismiss, because we've heard it over and over and over. There's song after song that, that deal with it, the topic of it. But my goal today and my goal with this whole topic of teaching through Psalm 23 is to awaken the beauty of Psalm 23 again not just so that it has fresh meaning but so that it has the power to transform your life like it did when David wrote it so do not discard it do not dismiss it today but behold it for the beauty that it is if you notice if if you read One through three, the Lord is my shepherd. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right paths for his name's sake. 
he refers to God in the third person and he makes a a switch in verse 4. It's a slight transition, but it is so significant. Even when I go through the darkest valley or the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no danger for you are with me. He takes God from this impersonable, this, this third person being, and he moves him into the second person, he says. He doesn't say, I will fear no danger for the Lord is with me. He says, I will fear no danger for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. It's a slight transition, but it is so significant. And we've talked about in Psalm 23, there are 18 uses where David uses uh, I, me, or my, these personal pronouns because he's trying to make this personable. He's trying to say, the Lord is my shepherd. He's not a shepherd. He's my shepherd. He's not one of many. He's the only. And so when you begin to look at that, I don't know if you've caught that, but that is actually significant because David is renewing his mind to the truth that God is personable, that he wants relationship with us. And he says, even when I go through the darkest valley, or even though I When I go through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you comfort me. You are with me. The darkest valley or the valley of the shadow of death, we will all have times there. There, No one in this room is immune to to times in the valley. We we have preached an easy gospel. In order to be saved, the word does say, if you believe in your heart, Confess with your mouth, you will be saved. That's true. But from that moment on, it's not a cakewalk till you get to heaven. It's not that you just, nothing bad happens to me. It's not, hey, I'm guaranteed health, wealth, prosperity, and everyone's going to like me. Not the case at all. We have preached a cheap gospel one that, that's easy. And what happens is it's created immature believers, immature followers of Christ. Because as soon as one bad thing happens, we bolt or we doubt the goodness of God. We, we go, oh, surely God is upset with me. So I better start doing things to make it right. We've preached this gospel that is so flimsy that it can't even be tested through one trial. We, we face one tough decision and we give up on the Lord. We give up on church. It takes us forever to get back in there because we've preached a cheap gospel. But Jesus said, hey, the, the road is narrow. The gate is small. Not many will enter. Jesus said, hey, the world is going to hate you. But don't worry, it hated me first. James said, consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, when you face trials and temptations of many kinds. You will face times in the valley. Death, as we found out yesterday, death is on the doorstep waiting to overtake you. The enemy, 1 Peter 5, 8, I think it's 5, 8, 5, 8, 3, 8, says that the enemy roams around like a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour. Being a Christian does not guarantee you health. It does not mean that you will not get sick, that you will not get cancer, that you will not face trying times. Doesn't mean that your relationship's not going to fall apart. 
We've cheapened the gospel by preaching something that, it's, that it was never intended to be. And it's caused us to become immature. But Jesus said, take heart, for I have overcome the world. Yes, you will face many things, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. And I love how David goes through here. He says, even when I go through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Our hope and our comfort is not in avoiding the valleys. Our hope and our comfort is not getting through the valleys as quick as we can. Our comfort is that you are with me. David did not say, even though I go through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you'll deliver me before anything bad happens. I don't even have to go through that because you love me. No, he said, it's okay. Because our comfort and our hope is in the fact that he is with us. John 14, 15 through 17, where Jesus is saying he's preparing his disciples. And he says, hey, don't freak out. Don't freak out because I'm about to have to go to my father's house. But don't worry because there's many rooms. I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. And they say, well, where is it? He said, hey, don't, don't you know? If you've seen me, then you've seen the Father. And he says, and it's better for me to go because I'm going to leave you somebody. And look, look at what it says in John chapter 15. You don't have to flip there, or John chapter 14. If you love me, you will keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you this is a key word, forever. You can look it up in the Greek, and it means forever. He is the spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him. But you know him because he remains with you and will be in you. The comfort and our hope is not in the resolution of what we're going through. Our comfort and our hope is that he is with us. He says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. That you were once orphans, but now you're sons and your daughters. You've been adopted into a family. He is always with you. Even in this valley of the shadow of death. And if you look at this word, it occurs several other times in Scripture. But there's a couple of times in Job 10. It talks about the same word. And it calls it the most fearful darkness, dark, gloomy blackness. In Job 28.3, it describes it as the same word. It describes it as the darkness as in a mine shaft. And the last one, it says the darkness of the wild, uninhabited desert. Have you ever been out in the wilderness? Nobody with you. It gets dark. Really quickly. And that's the darkness that this is talking about. Even though I go through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. The darkest valley will try to make you feel fearful, like the world is closing in on you, or that you're alone. But he is with you. No matter what comes against you, he is with you. We have to begin to prepare our hearts and our minds that no matter what happens, I'm not going to change my back. I'm not going to turn my back on the Father.
I'm not going to change my mind about him. Because it says, even though I go through the valley of the shadow of death, not the valley of death, but the valley of the shadow of death. Shadows can make things seem bigger and scarier than they really are. Have you noticed that? You can do a quick search on the internet on like funny shadow pictures and and it can make a cat look like a wolf. It, 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 shadows do weird things. But that's all the enemy has. He can't create anything. He can only manipulate creation. So he, he can't create the darkness. He can only try to use the darkness for his good. We take comfort in knowing that he is with us. Not only that, but the shadows that are meant to scare us only prove the existence of light. Even though I go through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because the shadow of death only proves that light exists. If there was no light, then it would be darkness. Shadows cannot exist without light. Take comfort in that. How do we stay faithful in the valley? Because I'm telling you, you're going to come in times where, where... you're, you're going to be given a diagnosis. And man, can I tell you, I, I preach from this word. I, I, I'm trying to be compassionate. I'm trying to be truthful to the word because honestly, I, I've not encountered anything. My, my life has been blessed. My parents are here. They're both, both of them are here. Like I, my wife, I mean, she's loves me. She's obsessed with me. Just ask her. She'll tell you. Like I, I live... <laughs> I live a life where I have not encountered anything like you probably have. And I'm sorry, but, but all I can do is preach to you from, what, from my experience. And so if, if I say something that's like, that can seem insensitive, I, I'm sorry, I'm really not meaning it that way. But, but what I'm trying to get you to do is to renew your mind to the fact that he is good, that he is with you, that no matter what the enemy throws at you, even if it is death, we will rejoice. And that's where I got yesterday with John when the Lord said, you're being selfish. I said, you're right. Even if you decide to take him today, Father, man, I love you. How do we stay faithful in the valleys? One is we have to surrender and seek him. Do do you know that One of our biggest struggles is we want to control everything. We want to control down to the very minute detail. And you can't do it. You you can be the best driver. You, You can speed limit, stay in your lane, not watch your phone or scroll on it like some of y'all do and maybe possibly me right like you can do all of that stuff you can 10 and 2 but now it's like 9 and 3 you can do all of those things but you can't control what the other person does you you can be the best driver in the world or second best because my wife is but you can be the best driver in the world but I can't control what he's doing If he decided to go out and get drunk last night, if they decided that Facebook is more important than driving, there are things that happen because we live in a fallen and broken world. 
It has no bearance on the love of the Father for you. He loves you as much as he can. As much as he loves all of you the same. Bad things happened. And they're unexplainable. Some are unspeakable, the things that are happening in, in our culture to, to our young children. Like unspeakable tragedies are happening to them. And I, I can't control those. But all I can do is surrender to the fact that he is good. That his plans for me are good. The hardest part to to do is to tell ourselves that we are not in control and we have to surrender. Jesus is talking in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 23. He says, why why do you worry? Look at the birds of the air. They don't worry about that stuff. He he says, "What, what good does worry do? Does it add a single hour to a day? But he said, seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you. The first step in walking through the valley is surrender to him and seek him. The enemy loves nothing more than when tragedy strikes for you to blame God and turn your back on God. That's what he wants. He wants you to try to figure it out. If I had just done this. If I had just been at that thing, then then that wouldn't have happened. If I had just not drank that, if I had just made this different choice, then it wouldn't have happened. But you have to surrender the fact that you're not in control. Your only job in the valley is to seek him. Because in the valley, it is dark. You have to pursue the light. It doesn't mean that, that everything gets better when you pursue him but it gives you the right perspective of the things that you're going through. Seek him before, during, and after the valleys. You have to come to grips now. How am I going to respond in this moment? Because when that moment hits, if you don't know how you're going to respond, the enemy will tell you how you're going to respond. My wife, when she was pregnant with the twins, never, never had a, a, a thought, a doubt, a worry for my wife with any of the pregnancies. Maybe, that, maybe I should have, but I just didn't. And I can remember with the twins, the enemy began to tell me that something bad was going to happen to my wife. That the, that the twins were going to make it, but that she would not make it. And... And I knew it was the enemy. I knew it wasn't the father telling me that. But in that moment, man, it's hard. Fear begins to, like, okay, she's, gonna, she's not going to make it, but the twins are. That's eight kids. I'm not as patient as my wife is, as Ashley got to find out this weekend. My wife's very patient. I'm not as patient. What I had to do is I had to begin to Tell myself, Lord, I know that's not your voice. But even if the plan that the enemy has for my wife and my family comes to pass, man, I'm not going to turn my back on you. I'm going to grieve. I'm going to hurt. And, and I began to make plans. And 
Because what, what happens is if not, then when that moment hits, you're unprepared. Seek him before it happens. We so often begin to seek him when our relationships get in trouble. And we're like, all right, let's get back into church. And it's like, man, if you had just been back before, then maybe this wouldn't have happened. We can't wait till tragedy hits to turn to the Father. We have to begin it now. The, the other way, the, number two, is what, what is called a Selah moment. If you've read some of the Psalms, you'll see this word throughout there. And it says Selah. S-E-L-A-H. Selah means to pause and reflect. I'm going to read Psalm chapter 3. It should be up there for you guys. But Psalm chapter 3, it says a Psalm of David when he fled from his son Absalom. He said, Lord, how my foes increase. There are many who attack me. Many say about me, there is no help for him in God. Selah. But you, Lord, are my shield, are a shield around me, my glory, and the one who lifts up my head. I cry aloud to the Lord, and he answers me from his holy mountain. Selah. I lie down and I sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not be afraid of thousands of people who have taken their stand against me on every side. Rise up, Lord. Save me, my God. You strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. May your blessings be on your people. Selah. Verse 1 and 2. Lord, how my foes increase. There are many who attack me. Many who say about me there is no help for me and God. He's in this crisis mode. As it appears the nursery workers are too. Did y'all hear that little scream over there? <laughs> you know, He's in this moment. He's on the run from his son who's trying to kill him. And, and, and he has this moment of like, man, they're, they're saying that there's no help in, in you, God. And he could have gone down that trail even further. And he could have begun to doubt God. He could have begun to question God's plan. He could have begun to talk about how God is no good. But he paused. He had a Selah moment. He paused and he reflected. And it says, but you, Lord, are a shield around me. My glory and the one who lifts up my head, I cry aloud to the Lord and he answers me from his holy mountain. A Selah moment is where we pause and we reflect. Where we, it allows us to get the proper perspective of I, I know what I'm going through is horrible. It might cost me my life. It might cost me my relationship. It might cost me my job and my career and my house. And you can, you can, you can go down that trail like the Israelites did. They blamed, blamed him and questioned him. Or you can pause and get the right perspective. When you, when you take time and you have a Selah moment, when you come out of that, the enemies are still going to be there. A Selah moment doesn't mean, oh, okay, man, when I come out of this time of prayer, proper perspective, I'm going to reflect that the enemies have now fled. No, no it's still going to be there, but you have the right perspective. They allow us to shift our focus back to him 
and receive his grace and mercy. When you find yourself in the valley, pause and reflect. Don't allow yourself to keep going down there with your mind and blaming God and blaming others, blaming yourself. Pause and reflect. Get the proper perspective. And it'll lead to this right here, number three. This is what we call, even though I will. Even though I go through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Even though I go through that, I will fear no evil. We have to come to this point in our life where we say, even though this might happen, I will respond in this way. Even though that might happen to my wife, I will praise your name. I will not turn my back on you or the church. You, you look at these moments, it, it, they happen all throughout the word. Job in Job 13, 15 said, even if the Lord slay me, I will hope in him. To be able to say that about the person you just said, even if he slays me, my hope will be in him. There's another one in Habakkuk. Probably, you know, not familiar too much with that one. It's just a little book uh, in the Old Testament, one of the prophets. But listen to this. You have, you have another one of those, even though I will moments. Though the fig tree does not bud, and though there is no fruit on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though the flocks disappear from their pen, and there are no herds in the stalls, I will celebrate in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like those of a deer, and he enables me to walk on mountain heights. Even if... All of those things happen. I will celebrate the Lord. I will rejoice in his name. Daniel, when, when him and the buddies were being thrown into the fire, Nebuchadnezzar throws them in and says, hey, bow down and worship me. And they said, never. Even if my God does not save me, I will Never bow down to you. We have to come to these moments when we're in the valley. We have to be able to say, even when this happens, even if this happens, I will not turn my back on him. I will put my hope in him. I will celebrate him. I will rejoice that he is good. Even if it costs me my life, man, I will praise his name. We need to set our mind on the fact that no matter what happens, we will never doubt him. We're going to end with this last piece here and then allow the Lord to just allow us to respond to that because the very last thing says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Even though I go through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You begin to look at the the tools of a shepherd, and one is a rod and one is a staff. The rod was a, a long stick with a kind of like a point on the end, and it, it was made for the external enemies, the, the things that were coming at the sheep, and the shepherd would use that. And that the, the rod was a, 
for defense of the sheep. The staff was a long pole with a hook on the end, and that was for the internal enemies. You see, there, there, are, there are things that will come against you, but yet we are prone to wandering. And it says that his rod and his staff, he uses the staff as guidance to bring us back to where we need to be. His rod and his staff are for the defense and for the guidance of his people. And we take comfort in those. I think so many times we think that the rod is for us. Because we deserve it. Because we wandered. Because we sinned. Because we didn't go to church. Because we didn't tie. Like We have all those things. And we think that the rod is for us to smack, smack us with and to smite us. The rod is for those that are coming against us. The staff is a gentle reminder to pull us back from our wandering. Onto the path that we need to be at. Our comfort and hope is not in the resolution of what we're going through. Our comfort and our hope is that he is with us. My encouragement to you is to get alone with the Father today. Put the kids to bed. Put them down for a nap. Or if you don't have kids, you can come take some of mine and put them down for a nap. See what that looks like. My hope for you is that you'll get alone with the Father and say, Father, is there anything that I'm going through right now that's caused me to doubt you? And it could be something so simple. It could be something so simple as, man, money's a little bit tighter than it used to be. It's caused me to doubt whether he's good or, or it's caused me to hold on to it a little bit tighter than I'm supposed to. Ask him, say, Father, is there something that that I'm not trusting you with, that I haven't surrendered to you? And then begin to ask him, say, Father, is is there anything that I'm holding on to too tightly? What do I value in this world more than anything else? Is there something that I would say, man, I'm gonna follow you up until this point. But if something happens to my wife, if something happens to my kids, if something happens to my mom, my dad, then that's it. I, can't, I just can't handle it. If I lose my job, I just can't handle it. I lose my house or my car, my kids, I just can't handle it. Say, Father, is there something that, that I'm valuing more than being with you that I need to resolve my mind to even if I will? Father, we love you. We, we praise you today. Thank you for your time. Thank you for, for being here with us, for meeting us here. Father, may may the words be impactful. May lives be transformed. May, May priorities be rearranged because of these words. Father, we love you. We praise your name. Amen. Amen.